After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are here to wrap up week eight of college baseball. It was a busy weekend around the country as they usually are, but this one felt especially so. Miami made a statement with a a sweep of Virginia moving into control there in the ACC Auburn stayed hot. They won a series against Vanderbilt and have won three straight SEC series. Alabama swept Ole Miss. Oklahoma State won Bedlam. A whole bunch of other stuff happened around the country, uh, including Washington State, the last place team in the Pac-12, going into first place Arizona and winning a series. We're going to get into all of that and more here on today's episode. Joe, I was uh, I was down sick for the weekend. I still watched a lot, maybe a little bit less than normal. Uh, you were full bore though, and it was uh, it was a fun weekend of of college baseball. Yeah, I mean, perhaps perhaps it was because I was having to, uh, you know, pay a little bit more attention, maybe because um, you know the way it works generally is even if we don't explicitly like just for the listeners' benefit here, it's not like Teddy and I go into every weekend say like, okay, you know, you're going to focus on like these five or six things and I'm going to focus on these five or six things. Uh, we don't do all that, but the way it kind of works out, it tends to be, we have a pretty good idea of what, what the other is interested in. And, um, it, it typically works out where we end up splitting it to where we've kind of watching some different things. And we come back to the podcast with different, you know, different takes on different things and, and so on and so forth. But this weekend was a little different where, you know, with Teddy on the, uh, on the IL and you know, it's what you do. Good teammates. You pick up your teammate. He did the same for me when I was on the IL earlier this season. So, um, you know, I was having to focus on a wider swath of things. And so maybe it was because of that, but I don't think it was completely because of that, that I just Friday night was just really fun. Like some of it might've been the timing of games. It's always nice when you've got a good ending and then you you're able to flip it over to another game in the last couple of ending innings. And then you get a good ending. So some of it might've been timing as well, but um, just really up and down the lineup in terms of games on Friday was just really, really fun. And and that led into a weekend that that gave us a lot of surprising results, gave us a lot of fun games. Um, And it seems like it's just one more week this season um, that that was chaotic. I mean, really outside of Tennessee at the top, I mean, basically every week has just been something different. And, And while that is, somewhat exhausting when it comes to putting together a top 25 or trying to string together cogent thoughts about the season at large. It is kind of fun. It is. And, uh, you know, you, we, we have these different teams doing things too. And, and, um, you know, by, by that, I mean, it's not, it's not just the same names that you see year after year, let alone week after week. But, you know, the, the fact that Tennessee is number one, you know, yeah, okay, like they're 31 and one, and we'll talk about what they did this weekend in, in a minute here. Uh, but 
the, the fact that they're 31 and one, I think kind of obscures the fact that they had never been number one before this season. Like we have had to very quickly adjust to the reality that Tennessee's the best team in the sport. Uh, but they've, they've never been that in the 42 year history of the baseball America top 25 before this. And yeah. Okay. Right now, Miami uh, looks like they're in control of the ACC following this weekend. Uh, they're in first place. They're number two in the country. They're on a 13 game winning streak, all the rest of it. And Miami has however many national titles they have. I'm sorry, Canes fans. Um, but also like they haven't the last five years, haven't been this for Miami. Uh, and, and, you know, you can just kind of look through the, the top 10 and you know, you'll find some familiar names like there's Arkansas and there's Oregon State. But, you know, there are, there are a lot of these teams that are having either, you know, I, I don't want to say Miami's having a renaissance because they haven't been number one in five years. I mean, they still haven't been number one, but it, it's been t- since 2016 that it was really like this for the Canes. Um, but it, it, it certainly has been a little while since you've seen a team in Miami like this one and, and, you know, Tennessee has never been like this before, at least in the, the baseball America, you know, scope that the 42 year scope that, that we look at. And uh, a lot of, there, there, are, there are just several teams like that running around. And, and I, I appreciate uh, the differences, not just from week to week, but, but year over year. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, four national titles for Miami, just looked it up. Real quick. I wanted to say four, but I, then I, I, I got in my head quick yeah 82 85 99 and 01 um yeah i'm kind of I'm, I'm certainly i'm with you on on kind of enjoying the variety here because i mean you i don't know if you remember but we talked on one preseason episode of the podcast about how and i actually said this on a as a guest on a couple of other podcasts like i was wondering if college baseball was moving to a little bit of a college football model where there's just no such thing as a um, rebuilding year for the teams that operate at the very top of the sport. Um, And I use the example of Alabama football last year that like technically speaking last year was supposed to be a rebuilding year. And I, to the extent they lost a regular season game to Texas A&M, it kind of was. And yet, right. Um, And then if you would have thrown out, okay, what teams are we talking about then? You probably would have gone, well, you know, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Well, Arkansas is chugging along, although not without its flaws. But Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, for different reasons, have clearly struggled this year. You know, we're going into the rankings with neither of them ranked. And um, again, there are some reasons that out of their control that, that is happening, but but some just on-field stuff that, that's allowed that to happen. And so um, clearly I my, my theory there was was not the case right there there is a such thing as a rebuilding year and, and i think it's not just that those teams took steps back it's also the overall strength of strength of things where you know we're seeing with what auburn is doing here where there's also in the sec just the same that there are teams that seem to be up near the top every year there are also uh, the teams that that aren't necessarily challengers for the sec title every single year still have their moments right i mean it wasn't that long ago auburn was in omaha they've had a couple of down years really just last year as a down year and here they are again. Right. So um, I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the health of the sport that we, we get this kind of variety um, and that we haven't yet at least gone to a point where only, you know, 15 teams in the sport in any given year truly matter. That's very generous of you to say that 15 college football teams matter, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll leave the college football uh, podcast to, uh, to discuss that one. Uh, we, are going to I, I would I would agree with you sentence that that is definitely 
a better place to be as a sport, a more interesting place. Uh, and we're, we're happy for it here. We're going to start today. There's only one place to start today, and that's, that's at Mark Light Field. Uh, where Miami swept Virginia over the weekend. Virginia came into this series, ranked number two in the country, leading the nation in scoring uh, 11 runs per game. They were uh, top five in Team ERA. They were fourth in the nation in Team ERA at at 2.84. So everything about this Virginia team seemed like it was that everything was going great. They had not lost a series uh, to this point. They, they, they really had been very, very impressive all season long. Miami, however, comes away with the sweep here. They, they win six to two on Friday behind another really good start from Carson Palmquist. They really silenced the, the Virginia bats in that game held UVA to just two hits uh, Miami then goes out and clinches the series with a five to four victory on Saturday. They had to come back in that one, scored a couple of late runs uh, to grab that win. And then on Sunday, they finished off the sweep with a route. They win 15 to five, uh, just a kind of old school Sunday. Things got out of hand a little bit for both teams kind of route. And Uh, With that, Miami has extended its winning streak to 13 games. That's the second longest active streak in the country behind only Tennessee. Uh, They replaced UVA at number two in the top 25 behind only Tennessee. And they are now in first place in the ACC. They have, I, I hesitate to say like complete control because Louisville is sitting there at nine and two. Uh, But uh, Miami at 13 and two is certainly uh, looking. Uh, they, they, they certainly have, have the edge on Louisville, which I guess is nine and three, not nine and two. Um, Miami, hard, hard to say enough about what they did this weekend. I found it to be very impressive, very comprehensive, uh, just from start to finish. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, uh, I, I will start my Miami analysis with with this right here. Hang on one second. Let me uh, let me back away from the microphone for just a second. Oh, and I, I I should mention pretend like at this beginning part that I'm Sebastian the Ibis, like waving my hands up and up. <laughs> it. Okay, you ready? C A N E S Canes, and then like some clapping after that. But I was at the A part. I was Sebastian the Ibis, like putting my you know like getting the crowd to like get into it, you know, um, it's probably not great news for my cardiac health that I'm kind of winded after that. So, uh, I'll take, <laughs> take a second to gather myself. Um, I mean, just, a Miami just beat the brakes off them. You know, I mean, I mean, they, this wasn't a one-sided kind of weekend where one thing went wrong for Virginia, Miami capitalized and won games one way. Right this was a situation where Miami just outplayed them in all facets. You know, I mean, I think if you're going to start somewhere with what went wrong for Virginia and what Miami was able to capitalize on, and, and we talked about this possibility on the preview episode, it was just that the the starting pitching for Virginia wasn't, wasn't good enough. You know, um, Nate Savino, five innings, six runs, Brian Gursky, four innings, three runs, Jake Berry, three innings, five runs. Um, and although in the first two games, at least, you know, Virginia's bullpen was able to kind of keep them in the game and give their offense an opportunity to get something done. 
um, they just got off on such a wrong foot that it was hard for them to, to come back when Miami's pitchers were, were pitching as well as they were. So um, that was a, a spot where Virginia, just because they don't have the stuff, right? I mean, like it, it's not a stuff based pitching staff. The numbers were very good, but because of that, like there is the opportunity for that kind of weekend for their starting pitchers. And it, it felt like Miami just from, from moment one was able to take advantage. So the, the starting pitching is a concern for UVA, but I, it wasn't like Miami was outstanding either. And uh, that to me was the, maybe the biggest story of the series, like Palmquist, six scoreless innings. Great. Love it. Uh, but then Carson Ligon, who has been so good as a freshman there as their number two starter, uh, only, you know, he, he goes, what, four and a third on, on Saturday. Uh, the bullpen really has to, to cover a bunch of innings there. And then Alejandro Rosario, again, uh, was uh, not great on, on Sunday. And again, the, the bullpen had to, had to come in and, uh, and cover a bunch of innings. And, you know, we knew that Miami had a great closer, has a great closer in Andrew Walters. He has 10 saves already. But the bullpen overall, nine straight scoreless innings to open the series against the, the top scoring offense in the country. And ultimately, over 13.2 innings for the series, Miami's bullpen held UVA to two runs. I mean, that to me is, is huge. And Four of those 13.2 innings were covered by, uh, by, by Walters and by Gage Zeal, who are, I guess, the, the Canes, like, two most reliable relievers. But it wasn't just those guys going out and, you know, Kevin Copsing it or something. Like, they ran through a whole bunch of different guys, and Virginia could not solve uh, Miami's bullpen. Meanwhile, Virginia's bullpen was put in some more holes than Miami's bullpen was, uh, but they, uh, they didn't have – that same level of success. I mean, that, that level of success is, is outstanding for Miami, but um, that, that was, that was a big deal for Miami, not just this weekend, but moving forward. And then on the flip side of that, the UVA starters, I'm not that concerned about what happened on Saturday and Sunday, as much as I am what happened on Friday to Nate Savino. Savino uh, gave up six runs and in five innings. And now in the last two weeks against Georgia tech and Miami, he's given up. Um, I think it's 12 runs now in, uh, in nine innings. And that to me is a pretty significant issue considering how good Savino had been. Uh, yeah, 12, 12 runs, 11 earned in nine innings over the last two weeks. That's a huge issue considering how good he was for the first six weeks of the season. So, uh, Joe, I, I guess, which, which are you more impressed or not impressed by which, which you think is the bigger deal, Miami's increased depth on the mound that, that they showed this weekend or concerns about what Virginia has in terms of uh, it's starting stuff, but, but especially Savino. Yeah, I'm with you that, I mean, cause I expressed the concern, the potential concern about Virginia's pitchers earlier, you know, in the, in the preview episode, I think for this specific weekend though, I mean, I think. Miami doing what it did in the bullpen is, is the bigger piece of news for my, for coming out of this series moving forward. Right. Because ultimately the Virginia pitchers like, yeah, what's Savino is reverted back a little bit to the form we saw last year. And we thought he'd maybe turned a corner and maybe still has even good pitchers will have stretches like this. But I think what Miami is doing in the bullpen um, is incredibly good news moving forward for them because that was, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a while. So, you know, we've slept a couple of times since then, but we talked a lot last year about how 
Miami outside of Carson Palmquist and Andrew Walters last year was really thin in the bullpen. And I remember talking about it literally after week one of last year, when Miami wins a series against Florida and we talked about, Oh Lord, what is Florida going to do on the mound in the bullpen? Because I think that was one of the times when Franco Alamon had a really tough outing and among other guys. And, and we kind of came around to, well, Miami outside of this Palmquist guy, who at the time we probably just described as that Palmquist guy because he was new um, outside of him. Like it's not like Miami was any better, but this year's been a different deal. I mean, this weekend is the, the showcase of that, but it's, it's been the case for most of the season. And it helps too, that you move Palmquist out of that role he had last year into the rotation. And Walters has been able to do what he's done. He's now at the point of the season, 18 and two thirds innings, five hits, no runs, two walks, 34 strikeouts this season as the closer. So you've really got that weapon on the back end to build it around and there will be better weeks for Carson Ligon. But when you've got Palmquist and Ligon that you kind of look at as being able to give you at least 12 innings over those two starts to begin the weekend. Now you can really parcel out your bullpen innings. Even if you know, you might get a short start from Rosario on Sunday, you're able to really parcel out the bullpen innings in a, in a specific way, in a very intentional way, in a way that last year it felt like they weren't able to do because every game was more of a scramble. I I think the other thing that cannot be lost here is that this happened uh, against the a Virginia offense that has been outstanding all season long. And Miami really did a number on those guys. Uh, Jake Geloff, who came into the weekend leading the nation in home runs, went 0 for 10. Um, he no longer leads the nation in home runs. He got passed. Uh, and they're, they're just a whole lot. My, my, or, uh, Virginia averaged 11 runs coming into the weekend, 11 runs per game. They scored 11 runs this weekend. It just was a really rough weekend for the Hoos. And I, a lot of that is what Miami did um, and what Miami is, is capable of doing. And, and I just think the steady progress, I've said this so many times, the steady progress that Miami has made. If you watch the Florida series and then kind of checked out of Miami for a while, uh, it has, th- things have definitely just kept getting better there and you can see the progress like almost literally every weekend they uh you know they 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 lose the the series against florida then they come back and and they win a series against boston college uh but they they lose on friday night well then the next week they go to clemson and they win a road series and it was the first time miami had played uh on the road in, in a weekend and then they come home and then they uh, they sweep UNC. And then they go on the road and they sweep Duke. And then they come back home and and they sweep a, a top two Virginia team. I just everything keeps getting better every week. And uh, at some point, I suppose they will take a bit of a step back or, or crest or, or, or something here. Uh, but right now, what I one of the things I am most impressed by during this thirteen game winning streak, and, and the, if you extend it a little further, even is just the the steady improvement that they're making as a team. Yeah. And I'm with you that, you know, it's, it's different than Tennessee, right. Where, you know, Tennessee is just on a different level in terms of dominance. So to compare those two, I, I do, I would also bet by the way on Tennessee losing a series at some point, cause it's, it's college baseball and more specifically it's the sec, but with Miami, like it's almost a sure thing just because this team isn't, hasn't been dominant in that same way, but you're right that they have, just gotten a little bit better every time out um, and been a little more impressive every time out, right down to the minutia of, okay, you win that series against Clemson, 
but you get blown out on Sunday, right? And then North Carolina, you win that series, and then Carolina pushes you to 14 innings in the finale. Um, you know, you win the you sweep Duke, so you know you do that, and you've got a couple close games. But then with this series against Virginia, it's better still, and they'll have to continue to do that because such as their schedule is. I mean, they've already played Clemson and Duke, and you know, in this version of the ACC, it appears those are two teams that are going to finish closer to the bottom than the top. So. They've still got Virginia Tech. They've still got Georgia Tech. They've still got Florida State, who, you know, is reeling, but uh, that's later in the year. And they still got Notre Dame. Um, so they've still got a lot of opportunities to stub their toe, but also a lot of opportunities for this to be a team that, you know, I'm not sure what exactly my expectations were for Miami coming into the season, but like this is a team that, like, suddenly they're, they are systematically kind of breaking down barriers as to what I think their ceiling could be this season. And if they work their way through that, kind of second half gauntlet in the ACC. Um, no, I mean, there's really nothing short of being in Omaha that, that this team can accomplish. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. This is, I, I would put them in Omaha today. In fact, and off the bat, if you read eight for Omaha, you'll find Miami there. And I'll go a step further than that, Joe. I'll say this team can win a national title. Are you, are you ready to join me and say the Canes are not just contenders, but legitimate threats to, to win in Omaha? I mean, did you hear my C-A-N-E-S Canes chant? I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, to give it a, a serious answer, if they're playing at home the first two weekends of postseason play, they're they're dangerous. They play really well at home. We saw that this weekend. If this series is in Charlottesville, maybe it goes the same way, but I doubt it. Um, they play really well at home. Uh, there's something about that Mark Light crowd. When that Mark Light crowd is really rocking, like that is a very tough place to play. A postseason Mark Light crowd is I, like it, it, it's special. It's absolutely it is. And so they, they play really well at home. They can beat you a lot of different ways. Um, they've got new stars developing. I mean, one guy we haven't really talked about in this discussion is, you know, it, it feels like Johanny Morales is coming into his own as a superstar. I mean, he's he's heated up. He two more home runs over the weekend. The, He's a the lot first more games he homered in when when they really needed him. Like not that they didn't need him on Sunday, but that game got out of hand. But he he hit very important home runs this weekend. Yeah, just last year he was he showed flashes, but was inconsistent. This year he's been a lot more consistent. And so yeah, I don't I don't think there's any reason why this team couldn't win a national title. You know, especially Omaha ends up being ends up being such a a crapshoot um but this team especially if they have the opportunity to play at home those first two weekends yeah there's there's no reason they can't get to omaha and and win it all the the talent is such that they could certainly do that uh quickly here before we move on uva level of concern that you have for them right now um relatively low but i i just don't i think that we're going to have to adjust our expectations for what this team is the rest of the way right um because I do think there are going to be other weekends like this where they have to scramble a little bit in the bullpen and they're just going to need their offense to, to do more. And I think their offense will do more, right? I mean, that's, if you, if you ask me specifically which side of the ball, I'm a little more worried about it is on the mound. Um, so I think their offense can hit better though. So I do think they are going to have to win some series where they win games 11 to nine and they just didn't do that this, this weekend. Right. Um, so it's in general low, but, I do think they are going to have to shift a little bit how they've been winning winning games this season, just given that I don't think they're going to pitch as well as they did the first, whatever it was, seven weeks of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Uh, they have a tough week here coming up. Uh, they're still on the road. They're at ODU and then at Pittsburgh. And while neither of those is onerous, they're 
both harder than you would think probably ODU's 22 and eight and it's a light 22 and eight but that's a team that knows how to win baseball games uh a team that probably feels like it owes Virginia something after what happened in Columbia last year and um you know also you're you're looking at a uh uh, a trip to Pittsburgh and, and Pitt has won now three straight ACC series. They're playing at home. It, it, it's just, it's not going to be easy. Pitt hasn't, um, you know, they, they beat Louisville at home two weeks ago. Like, so can happen to anyone, I, I think. And uh, UVA is going to need a response this, this week uh, to, to get back on track. But I, I remain confident that, uh, that, that the Cavs can, can do it and that they'll get back on track. And this is still an Omaha level team. Uh, it, it, they just have some things to iron out after this weekend. All right, Joe, we'll, uh, we'll move on from here. We'll, uh, we'll flip over to, uh, to some key SEC series here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Joe, uh, busy weekend of SEC baseball as usual. Several places we could start. Uh, you had Auburn beating Vanderbilt. Auburn has now won three straight series, and Vanderbilt has lost three straight SEC series. Uh, two teams moving in opposite directions right now, and uh, very surprisingly so. Uh, Auburn with a, a huge series win this weekend. You had Alabama going to Oxford and sweeping the Rebs. Uh, that was stunning, I would say. Uh, the Rebs have now been swept at home two times in the last three weeks. Alabama, don't look now, they're seven and five in the SEC and just a game out of first place in the West. 
Florida uh, won a series against Arkansas. Arkansas hadn't lost an SEC series in, since 2019, which is a colossal cheat. Um, but still, it had been a while since Arkansas had lost an SEC series. That happened in Gainesville uh, this this weekend, and, and it happened after Arkansas won the opener on Thursday night, and uh, Florida was off to their worst start in SEC play since 2006, and the Gators quickly course-corrected there. Um, and then Tennessee cannot forget about the number one team in the country. They swept Missouri, which, uh, I mean, given what's happened the first three weeks of the season cannot be classified as any sort of a surprise, but in doing so Tennessee improved to 12 and zero in the sec. That is the best start ever to start conference play. Uh, four teams had done 11 and zero. no one had done 12 and zero. Tennessee did that. Uh, on Sunday when they finished off with that finished off that sweep of Missouri in Knoxville. Uh, all right, Joe, where do you want to go? Well, first off, I'm going to give, this is not where I want to really dig in, but it, it should be said that uh, pour one out a little bit for Missouri and also for Utah, by the way, we talked about this offline. Um, those two teams are clearly better than they have been in recent years. And because they're just kind of outgunned in the leagues they play in, like, it doesn't appear it will amount to much, um, but it should be said those teams are just an, like those teams have been annoying as hell to play for every team they've played so far this season. Like every time I look up, Utah is leading games it shouldn't lead and is like competing in a way it shouldn't. It did it again last weekend against UCLA and Missouri is the same thing. Like um, it, it, that, it's just a team that's, that's pretty good and is going to give teams a lot of trouble. And unfortunately, with the whole, especially with the hole they've already dug, it just isn't going to amount to all that much in terms of wins and losses. I'm afraid that that does seem to be true. Uh, but you know, they uh, they played Tennessee really tough this weekend. We could start there. Um, all right, sure. Get, get Tennessee out of the way here. They, uh, you know, Tennessee had to fight for this. The on on Sunday, um, Mizzou got the tying run to third base in the ninth inning. Um, Mizzou led both of those games in the, the second, or the, both of the first two games of the second half. Uh, I wouldn't really say like technically they were Tennessee required comebacks, but it's not like they needed to walk off or anything, but uh, Mizzou was, Mizzou was very frisky in this one and Tennessee had to fight in a way that was different than they had to fight over the last couple weeks here. Um, so Massive credit to Tennessee just for getting to 12 and 0 because I mean, I don't know how good this year's SEC is. It's a little early to say, but I mean, it's, it's a good league. And this is a league that's been playing baseball at a high level for a very, very, very long time. And no one had been 12 and 0 before. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they really did get pushed in a way they haven't. And even on the micro level, you look at, I mean, this is really the first time that Chase Burns at the front of the rotation has been pushed this year. Like he lasts two and two thirds innings. It's, it's really the first time that that has happened. Every other start he'd gone at least five and really hadn't been touched all that much. Now he struggles with his control a little bit, you know, and, and he's done, he's done early and Chase Dollander even too. I mean, they, Mizzou got to him a little bit. Um, he still had the strikeout pitch working that that's kind of goes without saying there, but um, so they kind of got, got pushed in the, in a way that they hadn't always. And then, there really wasn't the, um, I mean, some of the run totals in the end end up looking like they, they really poured it on. And I guess they poured it on late, but Missouri pitching really did a pretty good job with them. And um, perhaps this is uh, one of those situations where maybe this is 
maybe this is good for a Tennessee team um, to get pushed in the way they do, because I think the timing on it is pretty good when you consider that, you know, now going to Knoxville is, is Alabama, which is coming off doing what they did against Ole Miss and, you know, had Tennessee kind of soared through another weekend, maybe they get got a little bit by an Alabama team that that's flying high. Now it seems un, increasingly unlikely that that kind of thing is going to happen because I think, I think Tennessee learned, even though they didn't take a loss, which is impressive. I think they did learn that, you know, it's not going to be easy on any given weekend, even if they've made it look pretty easy so far. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, and I was impressed with uh, Tennessee's ability to pivot uh, when the, traditional pitching script that they want to follow wasn't working they it wasn't did not really catch them up at all they they just went to a different arm and things things resumed normal um uh sequences there there in knoxville as, as tennessee continues to have just a, a sensational pitching staff it's not just the rotation uh is what we saw this weekend uh you mentioned alabama let's uh let's go to oxford uh where again Ole Miss got swept for the second time in three weeks. It was uh, a series in which Alabama showed they could win in multiple ways. It uh, won a slugfest on Saturday. It pitched pretty well the other two days. It was it was a really impressive weekend for the Tide uh, and a really disconcerting weekend for, for the Rebs, which, again, I just can't emphasize this enough. The last two weekends, they two of the last three weekends, they've been swept at home. Yeah, that's not, in my opinion, anyway, that's not ideal. Um, that's a hot take right there. Um, yeah, I mean, just couldn't couldn't have, um, things could have gone much worse for Ole Miss, frankly. You know, I mean, uh, shout out to uh, our friend Nick Suss, the Clarion Ledger. Like, he posted a quote from B- Mike Bianco after the first game of the series where, you know, they've been starting Hunter Elliott there, did last weekend, and um, started him on Friday, and you know, we're living when it comes to Ole Miss, we're living in a post rotation world because, and I understand what he, where he's coming from here, but just kind of said like, look, you know, we, we are approaching every game on the mound now of not like, this is our Friday guy. This is our Saturday guy. This is our closer. This is our, you know, whatever he's like, it is literally just trying to put together and I'm paraphrasing, but like trying to win a game, basically, you know, we're just trying to play the matchups right to win that specific game. And obviously did not work this weekend. The pitching is, um, continues to struggle. Um, the, the ERA, you meant you, you pointed this out to me last night. The ERA is over seven in sec play. Uh, that's not good, but the, I mean, to me, the more disconcerting thing is though, is like, we kind of just assumed that there would, okay, Ole Miss is going to struggle on the mound, but the offense is going to be able to bail it out in a lot of cases. And that just hasn't been the case. Like this offense has some pretty good depth, but like, it hasn't been great. It's been pretty good. Um, but I, you know, I think Saturday game is case in point, right? The team hits six home runs, three of them from Jacob Gonzalez and they lose. And that's just the game that probably most encapsulates the 2022 Ole Miss experience. They hit nine home runs on the weekend. Uh, they were a little too home run dependent, I would say. Uh, but yeah, it's, it just, it, this is a confusing team to me. Uh, I, I don't fully understand. Like, I, I, on the one hand, I, I do completely understand what we're on. Uh, the pitching staff just has not not developed the, the guys that you would have expected. Not only do they have a 7.15 team ERA in SEC play, they really only have two pitchers who have done much of anything uh, in 
in SEC play. They have Josh Mallets, um, who threw four and two thirds scoreless on the weekend. Uh, I honestly don't remember what game that was. And and Hunter Elliott, who's been all right in SEC play, he has a three seven seven ERA in fourteen point one innings. Um, a lot of his good stuff came in like the first weekend of conference play, though. But regardless. The rest of them in conference play, just they, n- nobody has good numbers and they're really searching for anything they can find there. And that that's put them in a, in a really tough spot, but yeah, they, they have not really scored uh number scored runs in, in bunches. Like we thought they would. Um, I, it's, uh, it, it's just a tough thing to deal with, I, I think, and credit to Alabama for going in and, and taking advantage of, of the situation, you know, sweeping Ole Miss uh, in Oxford is, is still a, a big accomplishment for the Tide. They hadn't won a series in Oxford since I think it was 2011. Um, and, uh, you know, the Tide now, they've won eight of their last nine. Had it been projecting them as an NCAA tournament team, they had played really tough through the first few weeks of, of sec play, but last two, they've kind of turned things around a little bit. And this, uh, this sweep really changes their trajectory. I feel like um, they're sitting at seven and five uh, with, with six weeks of sec play to go. So 18 games, they really only need seven or at most eight more sec wins. In, in 18 games, you're telling me that this team can't go eight and 10 the rest of the way. Like, I, I feel like they probably can do it. And Alabama has been a back-to-back NCAA tournaments t- since 2013, 14. Uh, so, I mean, that would be a big deal for, for Alabama. Uh, I, I think that also it, it should be noted that as, as rough as things have been on the mound for Ole Miss, Alabama has really succeeded on the mound in, similarly difficult circumstances, you know, much like Ole Miss lost its closer and its top two starters from last year um, in Nikhazy and, and Broadway and Hoagland. Well, Alabama did that too. They lost Tyler Raz and Dylan Smith and Chase Lee all to the draft. They also, for good measure, lost Connor Prelip um, late last season to Tommy John surgery. So they're missing the guy that was their opening day starter, um, you know, in 2020 and 2021. And yet, here they are with a uh, a really solid pitching staff. They have a, a 3.93 team ERA. That's fifth in the SEC. Um, they're they're really doing this in in no small part because of what they're able to get done on the mound. And, uh, Garrett McMillan was really good on Friday again. Grayson hit delivered a quality start on Sunday. Like yeah, Saturday got away from them, but um, Alabama can do some things on the mound, and, and that's that is why they are where they are. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll throw one more on top of it. I mean, it's also not Antoine John stepping up, right? I mean, another guy who was a pretty highly touted recruit who, you know, has shown flashes and, and he really hasn't been in the middle of it either. Um, so they, they've gone with some different guys. And I think Garrett McMillan has really as a Friday guy has gone under the radar. Um, and, and I think he's, uh, he's, I mean, now probably starting to get a little more attention for what he's accomplishing there, but the numbers are, are really, really good for him and, uh, should be thought of among some of the best Friday guys that the sec has to offer. And on the offensive side of the ball, like it's kind of the, the other side of the coin of what the Ole Miss offense has been. And it's just a, a study in expectations, right? 
mean, we expected the Ole Miss offense to be kind of otherworldly and they've kind of come back to just being pretty good. And I think my expectations for Alabama offensively were pretty modest and they've exceeded them. And I think it is largely because like, it's just a pretty good deep lineup. You know, they run seven, eight deep, at least on, on guys that can beat you. And I think they've done a really good job piecing that together again, when you consider that, you know, they've been without William Hamner for stretches, you know, Camden Hayslip is a highly touted guy who has just 10 at bats on the year. And, um, you know, it, it's not Owen Diodati necessarily another guy who's, who's had draft buzz throughout his career, uh, being the guy who's leading the way it's, it's a lot of different guys, some names you've heard of some you haven't, um, that are, that are getting it done. And so even though, again, it's kind of an overlooked group, it's just a group that feels like they know who they are and is, you know, playing team baseball offensively. And then you look at the numbers and the numbers are, are pretty, pretty doggone good. And so I'm, I'm really actually pretty excited to see them this weekend. I was a little worried. So I, I'll be in Knoxville this weekend. I guess I should finish that thought to see Alabama play Tennessee. Certainly would not be surprised to see Tennessee or uh, Alabama take a game off Tennessee with how well they're playing right now. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see this Alabama team playing well, playing against Tennessee, because I was a little worried that this Alabama team just wasn't really going to be able to go toe to toe with Tennessee. You know, back a couple of weeks ago, I was a little worried they'd be limping into the series or, it would go a little bit like the series that Alabama played earlier this season against Texas. Even, even though there were a couple of close games in there, they just couldn't get it done. And, but I'm pretty optimistic that this Alabama team is going to be game this weekend. Will it end up in, a, in at least a win in the series? Who knows? We'll have to see, but, but I do think they're going to be ready to play. All right. Um, the other team in the yellow hammer state there, Auburn comes away with a, a big series win against Vanderbilt. Um, mentioned that Auburn has now won three straight SEC series. Joe, last time Auburn won three straight SEC series. Uh, 2017. That is correct. Ooh, uh, and Vanderbilt, three straight SEC series losses for the first time since 2018. Um, neither of those numbers is massively long ago, but uh, maybe longer ago than you would have expected for, for Auburn and uh, maybe more recent than you would have expected for Vanderbilt. Ultimately here, Auburn gets the series win because they pitched really well on Friday and Saturday, much like Alabama did. And they gave up 19 runs in a blowout loss on Saturday. Things got away from them. Vanderbilt took advantage, but uh, on, on Friday, uh, Auburn really had had Vanderbilt's number um, with uh, a trio of guys, uh, you know, starting with with Hayden Mullins there, and then going to Carson Skip Carson Skipper and, and, and Blake Barhalter, just two hits on the day for Vanderbilt, and then on Sunday Joseph Gonzalez threw a complete game. Um, Vanderbilt did pick up eight hits, but they weren't able to do anything with them and. Uh, Gonzalez didn't walk anyone. He was really efficient through just 104 pitches and, um, you know, gets, uh, gets Auburn, uh, the, the win that they needed in, in the rubber game. And I, mo one of the more impressive things about this stretch for, for Auburn is that all three of these sec series wins, they've needed a win in the rubber game and they've, they've gone out and gotten them. And, and that says a lot about, um, you know, their fight and, and what they are as a team. And also like Joseph Gonzalez has started uh, the last two beat LSU through a quality, got a quality start 
at LSU last last week and then beat um, Vanderbilt this week. And, and having him there uh, in that third spot, I don't know how long he's going to last in that third spot. Or they're, they're probably going to have to move him up maybe. But uh, right now, that's that's working out real well for the Tigers. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it felt like that was the perfect end of that series in a lot of ways. You know, Auburn gets a, a standout pitching performance from Joseph Gonzalez. And on the Vanderbilt side, it was just kind of like a a whimper, you know, right? I mean, they, they got eight hits, but only cashed in for two runs. And it just, you know, that was kind of encapsulated the weekend, obviously, the outside of the, you know, the just wild Saturday game where things just snowballed on Auburn. But Auburn seems like a team equipped when you, especially when you look at that Friday win, they seem like a, the type of team that we see periodically where it's just, they're going to throw a lot of different looks at you on the mound. And maybe that means their starter goes three and the next reliever goes four. Uh, you know, they're just going to give you a lot of different looks and throw a lot of arms at you. And they're going to kind of see how it shakes out because there isn't a, a, there isn't a Casey Mize on this roster. Right. You know, so they're just going to have to do it differently on the mound. And, you know, maybe Joseph Gonzalez develops into something closer to, to the true Friday stud guy, but he certainly showed that ability. But right now it's just a team that's, that's built a little bit differently. And, you know, for Vanderbilt, I, you know, I feel like we can uh, exclusively report at this point that Vanderbilt has some trouble offensively and we've had conversations offline about it. We've talked about it on the podcast and I mean, look, they, they certainly can't complain much about what they've gotten from guys like Dominic Keegan or Spencer Jones, who's taken a step forward or Enrique Bradfield Jr. Who's doing his thing on the bases. Um, but they, there's a part of the lineup. It's pretty top heavy. And there's, there's a part of the lineup where they just haven't gotten steps forward from some guys. I think that had been earmarked as the next guys, right? Whether you wanted to put that on Jack Bolger or Parker Noland or Carter young, taking a step forward. Like it seems like he's kind of more or less the same offensive player he was last year, at least in terms of performance. And they just haven't gotten those step ups um, from, from some of those guys in, in the way that, that they feels like they needed for this to be a complete offense. And it feels like this weekend, whereas, the previous couple of series losses, I mean, clearly we, we should have been a little more concerned than we were, but we were kind of quick to just be like, yeah, let, let's see. I'm not too worried about it right now, but it does feel like now the evidence is such that like they, they really are going to have to uh, get things going offensively to, uh, to win series in a way that I don't think we anticipated them having to do. Well, so that's my question here is if you're, if you're betting on, so Vanderbilt lost three straight SEC series in 2018. Quick history lesson. Uh, they wound up winning the Clemson Regional and very nearly went to Omaha that year. Uh, they lost in extra innings to Mississippi State in game three of the Nashville Super Regional. Um, that team, again, so close to, to going to Omaha, despite going through what they're going through right now. Um, that's not to say that this team is going to going to do that, but Joe, if, if they are going to do that, sounds like you're saying it's going to come offensively. I wonder though, is it not going to have to be the pitching staff that tightens things up? Uh, you know, I, I feel like I have a little more confidence in Chris McElvain and you know, Patrick Riley had a really bad start on Sunday. He only went two innings, but like maybe he can uh, figure something else out. Maybe Carter Holton can recapture some of that magic. Maybe they can, you know, they have a lot of options. feels like they still aren't quite sure how best to deploy them. Maybe they can work through some of that. I just feel like maybe the, the pitching staff is, is 
what would be the the thing to 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 pull this Vanderbilt team out of it. But I don't know. It could go either way, or it could go that they don't ever really pull out of it. And, and that's not to say that they're just going to keep losing SEC series, but that just that they never get to a point where, like they did in 2018, where they're a real danger in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a team that without looking at their schedule, they still have left. And let's face it, there's no such thing as like an easy route in the SEC. But it's a team that I still would bet on getting, whether or not they actually host, getting back into the host discussion when it's all said and done, right? Like that's, I would bet. I don't know if I'd go that far. Remember, they were five and seven. They, to host in the SEC, you need at least 16 wins. Uh, So you're talking about a team going 11 and seven the rest of the way, at least. Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking at it now. Like that, that's a tough road. I just, I don't know. I, I just, I have a hard time writing them off and let me be more clear. Like I wasn't saying that I, I would bet on the offense being what pulls them out of it. I actually do. I also have more confidence in their pitching staff because I think the numbers there haven't had as much backsliding as it, it might appear based on the results. I just think if their offense isn't a little more consistent and isn't such that you can kind of just work around a couple of guys in their lineup, I don't know that it's going to matter a whole lot, yeah, I guess is yeah. what I was saying. Um, but I'm with you that I, I I do think the pitchers are good. Now, do they have like a Jack lighter here where it's like, you know what? We don't have to worry about Saturdays. Uh, no, I don't think that's a thing. Um, but I, I do like the collection of arms to the point where I would, I would bet that would be where it comes from. But again, I mean, the offense is just going to have to be better in general for that to end up mattering. I think. That definitely makes sense. Huge series this weekend for Vanderbilt as they welcome Florida to Nashville. And then they have a tricky trip to Kentucky. Uh, Never easy to play in Lexington. Georgia found that out earlier this season. It's not, I mean, Kentucky's not amazing this year or anything, but going up to Lexington definitely makes that harder. So next two weeks, really big for for Vanderbilt if they're going to pull out of this um, in a way that would allow them to get back into the hosting mix. Their RPI is still fine. Uh, It's going to continue to be fine for the most part. Obviously, if you keep taking losses, it will eventually catch up to you. But for the most part, their RPI is not, it's not going to be the problem here. It's just going to be a matter of collecting SEC wins. So uh, like I said, they're looking at needing to finish something like 11 and seven from, from here. We'll, We'll see if they can get that done. Um, quickly, I guess, Gators over Hogs. Uh, very strange series. Connor Nolan was incredible on Thursday night, and it felt like Florida was just going to keep sliding away. Instead, they got that turned around, and they come away with the series win. Any concern for Arkansas now? They're 8-4. and four. They're in first place in the SEC West, but just, uh, just a game advantage over like half the division. Um, tough schedule still to come going to Gainesville is no easy thing. I don't know. Don't, I, I really have no idea what to make of this, this series. Yeah. It was a weird one. Those Thursday Saturdays can feel like that sometimes. Um, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that we're all watching the Thursday game. Right. And so that gets very like burned into our brains. And then the second game of the series can get a little bit buried under the Friday night openers for the rest of the country. And then sometimes it's easy to just kind of like forget about the series after that's happened. So some of it is just, I think, psychological, but I think with Arkansas, like I I really, I would say that's definitely true this week, especially because Nolan looked so good. 
yeah, I mean, it was easy to just like watch that game and be like, well, that was awesome for Arkansas. And then like, just kind of assume like, yeah, they'll get one of the other two games. That's fine. I can move on to the things. Um, didn't work out that way as it turned out. Uh, Brandon Sprout, good for Florida. He's uh, It's been an up and down experience for him, but uh, good. That is helpful. And I think with Arkansas, I'm a little bit worried that they're starting to kind of show what they showed for a lot of last year, which is that last year they were asking their offense to bail them out a lot. And the offense answered like almost literally every time. And then you saw in the postseason, they got in situations where the offense it almost happened in the regional. Um, and then it did happen in the super regional where the offense just couldn't, couldn't bail them out anymore. Right. I mean, first game of the super regional scored a ton, a ton of runs next two days, not so much. And there were like a lot of things built into that, the, the, the fraught decision, you know, about what to do with Kevin cops and how much to throw him the lack of depth they had on the mound. Like there were a lot of things that got baked into that, but ultimately the offense went silent at the worst time. And I think this weekend was a little bit of that where the Sunday game, they kind of lose one of those back and forth kind of games. And those were games that felt like last year's Arkansas was, was winning a lot of and finding a way to win. And I think this team can still win games like that. I just don't, it's just asking a lot, especially when you consider this team might have actually, I'm certain has better depth on the mound, at least as we sit right now, thanks in large part to Connor Nolan being like a guy who's really stepped up. Um, but there is no Kevin Cops, And so what does that look like for Arkansas moving forward? That's the question. But it just felt like a situation where they needed their offense to to bail them out of one game this weekend and just just couldn't do it. Got shut down on Saturday, on Friday. And then on Sunday, Florida just came up with basically one or two more big hits. Big, uh, big series on tap for the Hawks this weekend with LSU coming to town. I uh, feel like we'll learn a little bit more there uh, because I think it is a big deal for them just emotionally to, to have some sort of response this weekend. And I don't know, every SEC West is kind of a rivalry, but there's, there's, there's a lot of history there between those two teams. All right, let's move on to the big 12. Um, two big series in the big 12 this weekend, Texas taking on TCU, the horns get the win. Um, they went on Friday. Pete Hansen was incredible. Uh, frogs come back, win on Saturday. Horns come back, win the series on Sunday. Uh, and then up in Oklahoma, we had Bedlam in Stillwater. And that was that that series delivered again. It always does. Uh, first two games were both eight to seven. Uh, Oklahoma won the first one. Oklahoma State won the second one. And then Oklahoma State took care of business to win the series on Sunday with a nine to four win that mm, I would say it wasn't as close as that score says, but Joe, you might feel differently. Uh, where do you want to start here in the big 12? The, the, I guess the bedlam series. I mean, that was just, it was just fun. And I agree with you on the Sunday game. Like I actually turned it on briefly uh, a little bit. Cause it, it went a little bit later than it was a later start time than most everything else which by the way, I thought was for TV reasons. And then like I started watching the broadcast and I heard Tom Holliday, who does uh, analysis for the Oklahoma State uh, home games on ESPN Plus mentioned that it was just because the Saturday game had started late because of TV. And so I guess the coaches, understandably so, didn't want to have quite so quick a turnaround. So Sunday's game was a three o'clock start as opposed to a one o'clock start. So I, I guess uh, when you only live or, or the, the schools are like two hours apart, you can, you can do whatever you want really. Yeah, for sure. So they, they took advantage of that convenience and, and played a little bit later on Sunday, which um, was, I'm sure, appreciated by the uh, by the players. So 
but yeah, the Sunday game, I turned it on briefly and it just wasn't all of Oklahoma's runs came after the game was largely in hand. And, and so, um, one interesting thing to come out of the Sunday game though, is Bryce Osmond was good for Oklahoma state and like, boy, you, you want to talk about something we've just been waiting on. And I'm not, you know, I'm not here to declare that he's got things figured out. Uh, we've seen this from him at times before, but man, wouldn't that be a huge boon for Oklahoma state if he did start to put things together, especially when you consider that, you know, Victor Medeiros hasn't been what we hoped he would be in the Oklahoma, Oklahoma state rotation. So it still feels like the Cowboys are looking for someone beyond Justin Campbell to step forward. So well, that was here's the dirty little secret about Justin Campbell. He has a 3.40 ERA, which is good, sure. but like yeah. last year he was so much better than that. So like, I feel like, and, and like the Osmond thing is huge, but this rotation overall has more steps to take every one of them. Like Madero's for sure. Osmond, you saw a little bit of, but Campbell has another level too. This has the potential to be an elite rotation. And if they can all just in the second half creep a little bit closer to that, like it, it would be a really big deal for the pokes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. But the, I mean, the first they have a 398 team ERA. Like I, the bullpen really seems like better than I realized it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, the stuff there is incredible in their bullpen. Like, I mean, they're just like one after the other guys who are just have blow by you stuff um, and and steps forward from a lot of different guys. I mean, Roman Fancelcar was a guy that the coaching staff told me about like in 2020. And I was just kind of like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I didn't have, it's not like I didn't believe them. I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. You know, like it, sometimes players get talked up to you and you're just like, oh, okay. But like that, that guy has, has come into his own. So the stuff on the on the mound is is incredible when you talk about the arms they're able to throw at you from the bullpen. And it's a similar thing on the in the lineup is is in the pitching staff where you look at the overall numbers and you're like, the talent here is better than that. So like it's just kind of a weird dissonance where the numbers don't necessarily match up to how I feel about the individual talents. But um I think that's a uh, a tribute to Oklahoma State though, that they just kind of figure out ways to to win. And that was certainly the case in that game they needed in game two, because those first two games were just crazy, crazy fun. And they really were kind of the inverse of each other, right? Where in the first game, Oklahoma state is up seven to four after the fifth inning. And then Oklahoma grabs, you know, two more runs in the seventh, two in the ninth to take the lead. And then, and then closes it out. It was the exact opposite in the second game. Oklahoma's out to a seven to three lead. And then Oklahoma state scores in the seventh, eighth and ninth to walk it off for a win. And if you're Oklahoma, you have to feel heartbroken again, because this, I mean, they've, they've been so close now. I mean, this team is really just one or two plays away from having one series against Texas and Oklahoma State the last couple last two weekends. And had they done that, this team's probably like what in the top 15? Easy. Yeah, I'd um, say so. Yeah. So they're just that close. And but I think it was another example. We've talked about Oklahoma quite a bit this year because you and I have both seen them in person. They just have to win series in the first couple games of the weekend because that at least, especially on the mound, they just don't have the depth really necessarily to have to throw a lot of guys and then go out there and win a game on Sunday, unless Chaz Martinez really shoves. And like, he has not done that more well, so often like, than not. So yeah, he, he didn't do that th- today, but like he did that against Texas and it still didn't matter because sure. you know, he's not, he's just not going to give you nine. And uh, yeah, if, if maybe if Jake Bennett goes CG, like they don't have to use much in the way of their top bullpen arms on Saturday, they could afford Chaz Martinez to go five or six and it'll still be okay. But like he did that against Texas and he was really good and it, it just didn't matter. So yeah, yeah they, they, they just remain short on the mound. And again, like you're saying, you saw it on Sunday and 
this time it, it happened to be Chaz Martinez that wasn't that great, but Sundays are, are a real problem for them, but it, it's not all on Chaz Martinez. No doubt. Yeah, no, certainly not. Yeah. And this team just strikes me and I, I don't wish this to happen because this would be a really cruel thing to wish to happen, but they strike me as a team if they can get in the postseason. And I think I've seen enough from the last two weeks to, to say like, you know, they're going to win a lot of games in the big 12, you know, uh, and they've played obviously a tough schedule. I mean, they've already played Oklahoma state and Texas. Um, I think they're going to win enough games in the big 12 to be in position to be in the postseason. They strike me as that whether there are two or three, we'll, we'll have to see, but they strike me as a type of team that goes two and zero in the regional to advance to the final and then just kind of bleeds out the next two days and just can't quite get it done because they just don't end up having enough pitching. Um, so that's, that's kind of, cause that's exactly what this series was. You know, they were right in it. The first two games could have easily won the series right then and there gets pushed to a third game. And then they're just not competitive in that third game. Tough one uh, for the Sooners, for sure. They can take solace in the fact, though, that they uh, they do split with the Pokes uh, this season. We'll, we'll see if they meet in the Big 12 tournament but because they did grab uh, another tight game uh, when they met on Tuesday, I guess, two weeks ago. All right, let's flip it down to Austin. Um, Texas gets past the Frogs. Um, Pete Hansen, incredible on Friday. Like I said, Texas... Uh, uh, comes back and, and wins the series on Sunday. That was a series that that the Horns uh, they definitely needed it. They're uh, they're now five and four in the Big Twelve. They've won back to back series against Oklahoma and TCU after losing that series in Lubbock. Uh, speaking of tough Big Twelve schedules, that's probably the toughest one having to to play Tech, TCU, and Oklahoma in in your first three weeks. They've they now will get into some of the easier uh, series in the big 12, but that uh, that's a, that's a big one for the, for the horns, a really tough one for the frogs that they were not able to, uh, to find a, a way here because I mean, it, it, it does seem like they're probably out of the, the big 12 race at this point. Yeah. And the, the hard part for them is that game on Sunday, which is one that I think was actually closer than the final score suggests that's that is precisely the type of game that i think tcu is equipped to win on sunday and they just couldn't get it done um you know with with brett walker going on sunday who's a a pitch to contact fly ball pitcher who's not gonna who doesn't have stuff that misses bats like he was good but not great he really made one mistake to ivan melendez and as often happens with ivan melendez he hits the ball out of the park and so that kind of put him behind the eight ball, but the offense was pretty game early, was was punching back against Lucas Gordon. And ultimately the Texas lineup was able to get it done against the TCU bullpen. And then on the flip side of that, you know, the TCU's uh, lineup, except for a late home run by Braden Taylor, uh, who was just continues to be awesome this season, was really all they got late. And so Texas was able to secure the series, but that's, I mean, that's kind of set up for the kind of game TCU is going to have to win in rubber games on Sundays is, um, you know, keep it close early and win a, you know, win in a scrap as the game goes late. And they just weren't quite able to get it done. I think it kind of illuminated where they're just like a little bit short TCU is at this point. So, uh, but for Texas, it's also, I think a credit to them, right? I mean, this, this is not the way in which we necessarily envisioned this Texas team winning things earlier this season were coming easier for this Texas team and, you know, injuries and other reasons, what have you 
it hasn't been that easy, but, but they've shown that this is not a team that can just win when things are going easy. Like they they're willing to fight you a little bit. And I think we saw that this weekend. I mean, it's a luxury to have Pete Hansen doing what he does on Friday, but with the way they, they won on, on Sunday shows that this team is willing to fight you a little bit and, and scrap for it. And even when things aren't going great and they, you know, they get a, a solid, but unspectacular start that they can win this game, win games in other ways. And that's just, that's just huge when you consider that, um, it just hasn't quite been as as breezy as we might have expected for Texas through this point. One of the reasons it hasn't been as breezy is because Tristan Stevens, who was incredible at the start of the season, he started the year with uh, 19 straight scoreless innings over three starts. He just hasn't been like that for the last month now. And um, it's just been up and down. He was he was down. Uh, against TCU, he gave up six runs, five earned, and two innings. Uh, in two of his three Big 12 starts, he hasn't made it past the second inning. Uh, against Texas Tech, he didn't even get an out, in fact. Now, he did throw in a, a quality start uh, against Oklahoma in the middle of that. So he, it really has been up and down. But if they can find a way to get Stevens more consistent, back on track in some way, it would go a long way to getting Texas back to where they need to be because right now, uh, it's Pete Hansen doing his thing, but then the next two guys behind him that were supposed to be there at the start of the year, well, Tanner Witt is out with Tommy John, and now Stevens has become a bit of an enigma about what you're going to get on any given Saturday. Uh, Lucas Gordon has done fine filling in for Witt on Sundays, but this is not the elite rotation that you know we expected it to be, and it's not just Witt, uh, Witt's absence that, that's the reason for that anymore. It does seem like they are making some strides offensively as Texas. Like, obviously, we, we've talked about Melendez and the year Murphy Staley's had, which is maybe the single biggest development for Texas in terms of changing <laughs> their outlook. Just giving Melendez a, that type of running mate in the offense uh, has been huge. We talked about Messinger in the preview podcast, but Austin Todd is healthy. He's back. Um, played. This is his first full series back in about a month. Um, he's swinging the bat well. He legged out some infield hits. Like that was good to see. Like he went three for four on Sunday. Um, so that is a positive stride forward. So it it does seem like the offense has is continuing to make some strides. And and frankly, I think the offensive production has been um perhaps even above expectation for what I kind of expected for this group. And and Staley, of course, is a big part of that, but I think there are a lot of different guys who have stepped up in various ways. All right, let's uh let's go to Louisville. Joe, there was a top 25 series there between Louisville and North Carolina. And the on-field series was was really compelling. Uh, you had UNC winning on Friday. Uh, and then Louisville coming back to win the series uh, with walk-off wins and extra innings on both Saturday and Sunday. And look, maybe we'll get around to talking about that uh, here in a second. But also what happened on Sunday was that this game was delayed in the sixth inning because there was a bomb threat at Jim Patterson Stadium. Uh, So for two hours, I guess the police uh, went in and did their search and whatever it is you do during a bomb threat to ascertain whether there is a bomb or not. Uh, They declared it was all clear. They were able to restart the game uh, without fans. They were able to get the game back going. Uh, Louisville was down five to one at the time was still down five to one going into the ninth inning tied the game in the ninth 
game then went 14 innings before Louisville walks off with a 6-5 win. Uh, but this was obviously unprecedented. I mean, maybe not truly unprecedented, but I might as well be unprecedented and surreal and a whole bunch of other things. I'm glad that in the end it turned out to be nothing. And, you know, listening to Dan McDonald after the game yesterday, you know, he sure made it sound like it wasn't anything different from a rain delay uh, for Louisville. So hopefully that's the way that all the players on both teams were able to treat it, that it wasn't that big of a deal, but that's uh, that was, that was a different way to spend Sunday afternoon wondering about uh, what was going on there at Louisville. Yeah, no doubt. It was just kind of a weird, uh, you know, uh, weird news item to like come across my, my Twitter feed, um, you know, and, and shout out to Matt McGavick from uh, Louisville's, you know, sports illustrated affiliate. Like he was the one who was on the scene kind of giving updates there and did a good job of it. And he's the one I saw the news from first and um, yeah, weird, weird scene. And, you know, shout out to uh, the stadium staff for getting everybody out. Shout out to the the officers who investigated the thing and, and the people who even found out this was going on. I saw in a news story that they, they, it was the, the threat was posted on some sort of message board site, like how they even find that stuff, I guess maybe, you know, whatever, like shout out for everyone involved for making sure that everyone was safe and getting it done in, in such an efficient manner that they were actually able to, to continue to play this game. Carolina was on a charter flight that helped. Sure. But they did get well, it back. So it, it, it credit should be given to North Carolina and, and Mac did give credit to, to Scott Forbes, like, cause Carolina could have said like, no, <laughs> we're out of here. Right. Or like, uh, we don't want to be a part of this or like, this is going to take too, you know, whatever. But you know, they, they had played an official game to that point. They, they could have called that game and they didn't. And apparently part of the reason they didn't was that North Carolina was in a position to, to wait and also was willing to, to wait. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, good. They were able to get back. I mean, obviously it, <laughs> the game went a lot longer than anybody could have, uh, could have uh, expected at that point, especially when they take the field and, and Carolina really looks like it's going to finish off a relatively routine five to one win. And then Louisville kind of comes alive in the, in the ninth inning and uh, finishes off the the series. But as far as the on-field stuff goes, a huge series win for Louisville. I mean, these are these types of like coin flip series that separate a team that, for example, is a clear host versus a host bubble or a host team versus a two seed or, or what have you. I mean, these are these types of toss up series that create those kind of separation between teams within the conference. And it's, it's Louisville that grabs it at home. And, and, you know, if you're Carolina, you got to be sick to your stomach because you're, you're truly, I mean, we talk about game of inches. I mean, they're truly just a couple of things happening from, from really sweeping the series. When you consider that both of the Cardinals wins came in extra innings. The, the other thing about this from Louisville's perspective is that they were coming off of a series loss at Pitt. So if they had lost either on Saturday or on Sunday, um, you know, they're, they're now staring two straight ACC losses in the face. They're not in first place anymore uh, in the division. Although I guess on tiebreakers, they might've still been, but you know, they, they would have, they would have fallen even with Notre Dame at, at the least. And uh, it, it just would have been a very different feel as they go to Tallahassee next weekend. Instead, uh, they can go there with this burst of momentum. Uh, they get these two walk-off wins. I mean, that, that has to just be a huge lift. And they've they've played really well at the back end of games. They've uh, it, it seems like they're developing uh, the bullpen a little bit more, which is a, a big deal for them. 
and their, their their lineup continues to be very good. But if you look, you know, Christian Napsik is kind of coming back to earth after an incredible start, but you know, they're, they're still out there scoring all these runs. They're, they're finding new ways to do it. And I, I think that's a, to me, that's the, the big deal here uh, for Louisville is increased depth on the mound, new, just continuing to find new guys to step up at the plate, just continuing to grow and, and evolve as a team. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think you saw it, you know, on Friday where it was like, Oh, you know, Tate Keener got, hit around a little bit. How does this, is this going to be a situation where things kind of fall apart this weekend for Louisville? And they, they fought, fought against that, even though it wasn't always pretty. And for Carolina, they're in a position now where, you know, they're going to have to, to kind of get going again. Right. I mean, right, right now we've talked about this, but right now they're in a position where they have to prove that this isn't more or less what it was last year. And so they need to get moving back in the right direction now, because, you know, don't look now, but they're under 500 in in ACC play and, have lost the, you know, the, the three series in a row. Um, we'll find out kind of where the floor is for this team. I think, I mean, next two weekends, next three weekends, frankly, when you, you know, Virginia, NC state and, and wake forest are all, you know, we, we, we know what we think Virginia is, even though they lost that series um, that that's going to be a tough one, especially against a Virginia team playing at home, looking to get back on track. I think we'll we'll kind of find out where the the, the floor is for, for North Carolina over the next few weeks. Is this a team that can kind of fight back and, and show something here to try to regain control of, of their destiny, for lack of a better way of putting it? Or is this a team that's just kind of destined to fall back to earth? Yeah, it's uh it's a tough spot. There's seven and eight here uh, in the ACC, and it's important to note in the ACC, we are at the midpoint. So they basically have to flip that. You don't want to uh you know, we, 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 we see time and again, SEC teams get in with 14 conference wins. It's a little harder to do it in the ACC. Typically, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so I should clean something up quickly. Yeah, I overlooked Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech weekend, not, yeah, not which is tough in its own way. Right. Cause it, it is, you know. it is at home. Uh, and I believe that historically Carolina has really struggled playing in Atlanta, but they do a lot better in that series at home. Um, but yes, completely. Uh, a, a very different challenge, but a challenge nonetheless, especially when you saw Georgia Tech this weekend um, take care of business against Florida State. Uh, all right, Joe, let's head out west. Uh, let's get to the Pac-12 here, uh, which was supposed to have a quiet weekend and mostly did. The top teams, th- this is a conference that's really already defined who the top teams are. There are five teams uh, that have separated from the pack at the top of the conference those five teams were not playing each other this weekend. So it should have been on paper, a quiet weekend. And again, for the most part, it was, except that Arizona was hosting Washington state first place versus last place in the PAC 12 Washington state comes away with the series win in Tucson. They really took it to Arizona early on Friday, uh, held on to win that. Uh, and then it was a tight game on, on Saturday that uh, the Wazoo was able to, to get the win in. And Arizona did get a win uh, in the finale on Sunday, but uh, they ultimately go one and three on the week because they also lost to Arizona State on Tuesday. Uh, they tanked their RPI in the process. They dropped like 20, 25 spots on the week. Uh, it was a really, really bad week for the Wildcats. Um, they do remain in first place in the Pac-12. They're now tied with Oregon State. Obviously, it's very early for all the rest, all of that, but 
dropping games against the last place team uh, is really not the recipe for success if you're if you're looking to retain your Pac-12 title, um, which is what Arizona is trying to do this year. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be a series against Washington State at home, no less, is supposed to be the type of weekend where you consolidate your spot at the top of the standings. It's where you're, if anything, you're supposed to gain ground. And Oregon State made that tough because they swept USC. But in general, this is a weekend where you're supposed to kind of maybe take off and, and lose some of these teams. And they did the opposite of that. And to me, the worrisome loss, to the extent any of them are worrisome, but the, I guess the one that would bother me more if I'm Arizona is Saturday. Because Friday, look, I mean, you got beat, you came out flat, you know, you score four runs in the first and then don't really do much of anything the rest of the game. TJ Nichols has been pretty good this year. He wasn't very good on Friday. That happens. Um, but the one on Saturday, you're up five to four. You let Washington State score a run in the eighth and a run in the ninth to take the lead, um, you know, against the last run coming against holding Christian, you know, your, your closer, the guy you want in that spot. That's the tough loss because on both ends, right. You feel like you probably should have done more offensively. Uh, Cause by the way, all five of their runs in that game came in one inning. So you feel like you could have done more offensively. You feel like that you let that game get away in the bullpen and that's how you lose the series. That's the one that's gutting um, because the Friday loss is like the one they took happened, but that's the one that is, if, if this ends up being the kind of series that costs them something in the end, that's going to be the game. That's probably going to have be keeping them up at night when they think about it. The um, it's, it's just inexplicable how bad Arizona has been at home this season. They're 12 and seven in Tucson. They've lost three home series already. They haven't lost three home series in a season since 2015. I, they are supposed to have like a legitimate home field advantage. The, the park creates a home field advantage, uh, you know, because the, it's so spacious and, and you can play, play to the gaps and, and, and play to the park there. And then they also have a really good fan base and like it's, it's supposed to be a a true home field advantage out there. And ultimately you've, you've already lost series this year at home to Washington state, Texas state and UCLA. It is, I, I, I I am, I'm at a loss for, for how, how this has happened because Arizona looks really good when they're away from home, but you know, seven home losses is uh, is a really tough one to overcome. If you're trying to host, if you're trying to win the pac 12 and, that is what this team should be capable of doing. Yeah. And I don't, you know, Washington state is already like so far behind the eight ball. I mean, they, even with this series, win, they're still basically three games in the loss column behind 10th place USC. So I don't know what to make there. I mean, it's, it's a positive step. I'm not taking it away from them. They're saying that they should, you know, have to apologize for it, but <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't know what to make there. And, and we don't have to get in the weeds on this, but, but you and I have delighted Delighted is not the right word. You and I have have looked, um, are intrigued, I guess I should say, at kind of because the Pac-12 is doing a tournament this year. That that's a new thing. If you've forgotten, the race for who's going to like be the last couple of teams in that is kind of fascinating because what we talked about earlier, like Utah is better, so like Utah is in this mix, right? Normally you might say, okay, well Utah and Wazoo aren't in the mix, so really it's just a race for one final spot. One team gets left out. Like it's possible a team like Arizona state or USC is going to get left out of the inaugural PAC 12 tournament. And I don't think either for neither program is going to be happy about that, obviously. And I don't know that also the I Pac-12 won't be. 
Correct. Yeah. Especially in the case of, of Arizona state, like to not have Arizona state in the first pack 12 tournament when they're playing that thing in Scottsdale, uh, wolf, um, that would be tough, but the Arizona state has just not been very good this year. So that's, uh, again, I, we don't have to get in the weeds about it, but if you're looking for something kind of intriguing, uh, a little below the radar there, like that's an interesting race as to who's going to get left out of that thing, because there's going to be at least one and perhaps two programs that are just going to be not too happy about it. Definitely a race to watch. Also the race at the top, because now the top five teams are separated by a total of a game and a half. So uh, the stretch run in the Pac-12 looks like it is going to be tasty. Uh, That starts this weekend with Stanford and UCLA. Uh, So we'll definitely be digging into that on the Thursday edition of the Baseball America College podcast. All right, Joe, there's a lot more that happened around the country. We've been at this a while already. Uh, We could get into Sunbelt stuff. We could get into any number of other things. I know you had, uh, as you said, a pool skimmer uh, that you you were prepared to to deploy here to to run over some of the the rest of the stuff that happened around the country. So uh, let's, let's bust that sucker out. Yeah, I'm kind of proud of that metaphor. I think that works really well. You know, you just take like that little skimmer across the pool and you grab like the leaves off. That's what this kind of is like looking around the country and finding other interesting things. Uh, we, we, we will end on the Sunbelt stuff because I, I think that's the most interesting piece of this. Um, so, but other things to kind of look for, we talked about Mizzou and Utah. That's something I wrote down. Kennesaw state. I will have more on this week in three strikes. So look for that. That's what we in the business call a tease. That's showbiz baby. Um, I will have more on them this week. Interesting situation. Uh, 10 in RPI leading the a sun. Um, if you look at things like, you know, the Boyd's world predicted RPI tool, uh, the RPI needs report, like there is a very real chance they finish top 16 in RPI. Now, could they stumble? They still have two series left with Liberty. So sure. Um, but if they continue to win at the clip, they are right now. Like we may have to grapple with like, what do we do with Kennesaw state? Um, the numbers are in their favor. They are, one of those teams that you look at the RPI, then you look at the resume and you can't exactly square them, but they are in a really good position as it sits right now. And I'm, I'm um, excited for you to read what I have on them because beyond just the RPI, it is kind of an interesting, interesting team. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, speaking of interesting RPI stuff, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Missouri Valley, how one of Illinois state and Indiana state was probably going to be the team to watch as the second MVC team kind of coasting off of DBU being uh, now number two in RPI. That team is officially Indiana State. They swept Valpo over the weekend, um, which in and of itself is not a feat. However, in doing so, its RPI jumped up inside the top 60. So don't look now, but here comes Indiana State. I think that's probably a team that continues to win games in the MVC, and we're going to look up on May 20-whatever, and they're going to be 38 in the RPI, and there they are just right where they need to be. That's probably how that's going to go. And then finally, I alluded to it, Georgia Southern, uh, a couple of interesting things in the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern winning a road series against Texas State. I think that is probably a good result for the Sun Belt's postseason hopes at large. Uh, and I, I don't use that, no pun intended on at large. But, um, you know, we talked about in the preview episode that Georgia Southern had a good RPI, but kind of needed to back that up with some results. Um, even though Texas State is now outside the top 50 in RPI, I think that's an impressive enough series win. I think that has done that. Um, that conference continues to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams 
uh, in the top 100 in the RPI, and I'll do you one better. They are all in the top 70 in the RPI. That is good news for them getting multiple teams, perhaps as many as three if things break right. The other interesting thing in the Sun Belt, Georgia State is leading the conference. They have an RPI of 31. They are 10 and 2 uh, in conference play. Uh, they just finished off a sweep of Coastal Carolina. Uh, perhaps more impressively, the week before, they swept South Alabama. Um, they did lose a series to ULM earlier this season, which is kind of a weird one. Um, but otherwise, they have three sweeps in conference and are leading the conference at 10 and 2. Looks like perhaps a, a bit of a breakthrough year for the Panthers. So, kind of a lot of different interesting things happening in the Sun Belt for sure. Spoiler alert, I'll just let you know which uh, under the radar series Joe is going to pick on the Thursday podcast, which, oh, by the way, will be on Wednesday. I keep saying Thursday. Uh, look for us on Wednesday. I'll get to that in a second. Um, uh, it's going to be Georgia State against Georgia Southern. Uh, that is that is the series to watch this weekend uh, in the Sun Belt. Big rivalry, big implications here. I, very fascinating uh, conference this year. If you're looking for a conference outside the major ones that to track, this is the one to do it. Uh, very tightly packed standings right now. Joe mentioned the RPI stuff. You know, Georgia Southern has the best RPI. Uh, but several of these teams are, are in the mix that depending on how things go in the second half, you know, you got Troy, you've got, uh, you got the Cajuns, you, you got, you got five, six teams here that have legitimate uh, at large chances. So a lot to watch down the stretch. And uh, we do get a, uh, another showcase series in the Sun Belt this weekend. Uh, housekeeping is that um, because this week, this, this coming weekend is, is Easter weekend. A lot of series start uh, Thursday, run Thursday to Saturday. That means we have to move everything we do up by a day, uh, which means that the preview podcast will be hitting your feeds on Wednesday. Uh, now, if you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, it'll just show up in your feed anyway. So make sure you hit that subscribe, that follow button, and then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, but it will show up there uh, on Wednesday. And if you're planning your baseball viewing uh, for the weekend, uh, remember a lot of stuff is going to happen on Thursday. That's going to do it for us today on this episode of the Baseball America College podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. There is plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com, including the top 25 with the uh, capsule breakdowns from Joe and off the bat from me, uh, plenty more to come throughout the week as well. So check all of that out. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. We will see you back here on Wednesday. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.